This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome once again to Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. This is your host, Alan Pierce. I'm an attorney at Pierce Pierce Napolitano in Salem, Massachusetts, practicing in the field of workers' compensation. And we are happy to bring you another edition of Workers' Comp Matters with a returning guest. We've had uh, Dr. Venola Thumala with us once before, uh, and um, I'm going to be having a discussion with Dr. Thumala uh, on a recent project that she completed for the Workers' Comp Research Institute entitled Interstate Variations in Dispensing of Opioids. Uh, but before we get to the subject of today's show, we'd like you to visit our sponsor, PINow.com. Find a local qualified private investigator anywhere in the United States. Visit PINow.com to learn more. As I mentioned, um, Dr. Thumala is uh, associated with the Workers' Compensation Research Institute located in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we have had the benefit of having uh, guests from WCRI uh, on Workers' Comp Matters in the past, and just to acquaint uh, our listeners, uh, WCRI is an independent not-for-profit research organization based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It was organized in 1983. The Institute does not take positions on the issues it researches, rather it provides information obtained through studies and data collection efforts, which conform to recognized scientific methods. Objectivity is further ensured through rigorous, unbiased peer review procedures. WCRI's diverse membership includes employers, insurers, government entities, managed care companies, healthcare providers, insurance regulators, state labor organizations, and state administrative agencies, such as industrial accident boards and the like not only in the United States, but Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. WCRI does perform an amazing service to the workers' comp industry, and they really approach issues in a way that some of us who practice law don't fully appreciate or understand. They get deep into the details. And getting deep into the details, um, again, as I mentioned before, we have a returning guest, Dr. Venela Thumala. She is a policy analyst uh, for WCRI. She conducts research on pharmaceutical use in the workers' comp system. She's the author of several studies evaluating prescribing patterns of opioids, drug formularies, physician dispensing. And uh, Dr. Thumalai received her PhD from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. So having said all of that, uh, Dr. Thumalai, again, let me welcome you to Workers' Comp Matters. Thank you for having me, Alan. I'm happy to be here. Okay, needless to say, I don't think we have to spend very much time talking about the issue of opioids, opioid prescriptions, and chronic pain and pain management in the workers' comp system. Um, not only have we done several shows on this very hot topic uh, over the last several years, but you can hardly go anywhere in the United States and attend any workers' comp seminar forum panel discussion without the issues surrounding opioids, opioid misuse, opioid deaths, and the effect uh, both in terms of uh, financial costs as well as costs in human life and uh, appreciation of life um, and the difficulties in trying to control this problem. 
And I know WCRI has done a lot of work studying how different jurisdictions, different states deal with the dispensing and the utilization of opioids. And in fact, your research uh, brief that we are going to discuss this afternoon is interstate variations and dispensing of opioids. So first of all, what what prompted this study? Why is it uh, important to look across state boundaries to look at how different states do things? Opioids, as you mentioned, are a hot topic, not just in workers' compensation, but in the nation. And uh, in workers' compensation, injured workers are commonly prescribed opioids for work-related injuries. So this particular study is the fifth edition of our opioid benchmarking studies that track how opioid use varies across states and over time in the workers' compensation system. And um, as states differ in terms of prescribing practices and pain management practices, in the study, we track which states had higher or lower utilization of opioids. And in most more recent years, many states are implementing legislation and regulation to combat the opioid epidemic. And so doing the study, uh, it provides us an opportunity to monitor the results of these ongoing policy changes, whether uh, there are reductions in opioids following the implementation of these reforms, which is one of the reasons uh, we updated the study to track the changes and to see where states are uh, at the end of the study period if there are states where opioid use continues to be higher. So uh, as I you know, gave a review of your study, it seemed to me there were states that were still on the high side of opioid dispensing, others on the low side, and some uh, rationale as to why there may be differences. So may I assume it might be helpful for those states that are doing a, a better job than others for you to be able to isolate who those states are and perhaps the methods that they've employed uh, to improve the opioid situation. So this, I assume, can provide a, a basis for improvement in some of those states that you've studied, or perhaps the states that weren't studied, um, to improve their systems. Is that uh, a fair goal? That is correct. So we, we do demonstrate uh, which states have higher and lower use, which states had the largest reductions, and what policies were implemented in states that had large reductions so that others may have a, a description of all these policy tools uh, that may be used for a reduction of opioid dispensing. Okay. So let's, let's get into it. Uh, what period of time was covered? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, the results of your research. It certainly, you know, is not a uh, set of data that occurred over just a particular year. So give us the range of time and perhaps even some of the other numbers of uh, how many cases or claims and numbers of prescriptions that were looked at that went into your conclusions. Okay. So in the fifth edition of interstate variations in dispensing of opioids. We tracked trends from uh, 2012 to 2016 injuries and the prescriptions that were filled by these injured workers on an average 24-month period post-injury. So we include prescriptions filled up to March 2018 in, in the study. 
And um, in terms of the total number of claims, we have roughly half a million non-surgical claims that had more than seven days of lost time across 27 states. And these 27 states are diverse in terms of their geographic location. And the the sample that we have included represents uh, 37% to 72% of workers' compensation claims in each state. Okay, so you have roughly a little over half the 50 states. And just let me just uh, run down very quickly for our listening audience the the particular states studied. Uh, obviously, states that aren't included in the study can certainly extrapolate from your data. But just uh, for those of you out there who may want to look more deeply into the study, those states, and I'll read them relatively quickly, are Arkansas, California, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and Wisconsin. And clearly, you do have a uh, geographical as well as a uh, population and uh, economic diversity here. So now that we... um, know what the study was looking for and the period of time it covered and who was studied. What are the particular variations that uh, stuck out at you um, as you um, researched the dispensing of opioids across these state jurisdictions? So uh, we do see large interstate variation in overall uh, dispensing of opioids. One of the measures uh, that we look at is Uh, how many, what proportion of injured workers with a prescription, with any prescription paid under workers' compensation, receive at least one opioid. And uh, we do see large interstate variations on this measure from uh, roughly one-third of injured workers in New Jersey receiving at least one opioid prescription to 70% uh, in Arkansas and Louisiana. And another measure uh, that we look at in in to quantify the uh, opioid dispensing variation across states is the average amount of opioids per claim in the state. And we see that the highest state had five times the average amount compared to the lowest state in our study. So in terms of the opioid dispensing, amount of opioids dispensed, we do see quite a bit of interstate variations. We also, in the study, examine what are the types of opioids or what are the type of pain medications that are prescribed uh, for injured workers across the states. And um, while in the most recent study period, we start to see that non-opioid pain medications, such as NSAIDs, anticonvulsants, those form the majority of uh, pain medication prescriptions. There is quite a bit of a variation in what percent of pain medications are for these non-opioid analgesics. Um, it varies from 50% to 70%. And if even when we look at the type of opioids that are prescribed, we again see variation. In some states, uh, doctors more likely prescribe oxycodone. Um, for example, in Massachusetts, oxycodone is the most prescribed opioid. Um, and in, in, in several other states, um, hydrocodone is uh, more frequently prescribed. And in some others, tramadol is more frequently prescribed. 
So we try to uh, present for each state the types of opioids that are prescribed, the amount of opioids that are prescribed, what percent have chronic opioids, what percent have uh, opioid levels that exceed guideline recommended amounts. We also look at uh, concomitant exposure of opioids to opioids and other central nervous system depressants, uh, such as benzodiazepines. And uh, we do, again, see uh, interstate variations in many of the measures that I touched on today. Okay. And in fact, looking at the summary of your findings, uh, I think, for example, the percentage of injured workers with prescriptions receiving opioids range from 32 to 70% across the 27 states, which is a pretty wide variance, and we can discuss perhaps some of the reasons in a moment. Uh, but you identified um, by MME, which is morphine milligram equivalent, that the, um, the states that had the highest MME per worker were Delaware, Louisiana, Pennsylvania, and New York. And in fact, Delaware and Louisiana, I think your study indicates that they're Morphine milligram equivalent per claim was over 3,200 milligrams, more than three times the median and five times the state with the lowest amount, which was Missouri. You identified, I think, New York and Pennsylvania as having had higher average amounts of opioids dispensed in the first two years of a claim, up to 110% higher than the median. So um, there is wide uh, variety or variation uh, between and among the states. Would you say that there were certain policy measures adopted by the states that might have that might be doing a better job in controlling the frequency and dosage of opioids? And and if so, what would some of those changes in in the way states handled it be? That's a great question. Uh, in fact, I see two questions in there uh, because some of these states, like New Jersey, they were lower uh, on uh, to begin with. Um, at the beginning of the study period, and we saw reductions in in the in the state further, which brought them to the lowest in terms of the percentage of injured workers with prescriptions receiving opioids. So I want to answer that question in two parts. One is why are there variations across the states even before these uh, some of these changes were implemented, and then what are the the changes that were implemented in these states with large reductions, right? So uh, with respect to the first point, um, why states vary on opioid dispensing? We discussed several potential factors that might explain the variation in the study, but we did not examine empirically how much each of these factors contribute to the variation. Uh, one thing we did examine was whether do these states really differ a lot on um, demographic characteristics of claimants, the injury and industry composition of the workers' compensation claimants, and we do not see that that's a major factor. We adjusted for the differences across the states in demographics and injury industry mix. And this did decrease uh, the, the range across the states by a little, but the large interstate variations persisted even after controlling for these differences. So even if you put similar workers uh, in different states, the frequency of opioid dispensing still varies a lot. So what are some of the factors that might explain this variation? 
one of them uh, that we didn't explore in this study, but some of the previous WCRI studies looked at it and looked at local practice norms have a major role in um, explaining whether an injured worker residing in an area is likely to get an opioid prescription for their work-related injury. We see that if the injured worker resides in an area where the general prescribing norms of opioids are higher, then they are more likely to get an opioid prescription. That's one of the factors. Then there are state policies such as PDMPs and other pain policies that may explain why injured workers in some states have higher uh, rate of opioids compared to those deciding in other states. And within workers' compensation. Dr. Thumala, PDMPs, that's a prescription drug monitoring program. So that's a program that involves both a contract uh, with the provider and the the patient, as well as a variety of other things that go into that, such as um, random uh, or required drug tests and uh, pledges not to secure drugs from more than one provider, et cetera. So your reference to a PDMP would be in jurisdictions which that require a prescription drug monitoring program. So I just want to clarify what a PDMP was. Yeah, you were right. So it's not just about whether the state has a prescription drug monitoring program, but all the other uh, policies surrounding the prescription drug monitoring programs Uh, which vary from state to state. As of now, all 50 states have a prescription drug monitoring program, but they differ in terms of uh, um, whether they require unsolicited reporting, uh, whether doctors are required to check the PDMP. So it's one of the factors that might explain as to how, if there are a lot of policies that improve the utility of the PDMP in a state that might be associated with the opioid prescribing practices in the state. Okay, we're going to take a break right here. And then uh, when we resume our discussion, uh, we will be talking about some of these other policies that have been adopted in various states that have begun to help control the uh, epidemic of uh, overuse of opioids. So after a couple of minutes, we'll be right back with Dr. Venela Thumala. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Okay, we're resuming our discussion with Dr. Venola Thumala about um, interstate variations in the dispensing of opioids. And one of the things we ended the last segment on was, um, uh, while many states, if not all states, have a PDMPs or prescription drug monitoring programs, there are other methodologies within these type of programs or even outside these programs that uh, have played a role in beginning to reduce the frequency, duration, and uh, chronicity of long-term or even short-term opioid use. So in addition to to that, what other processes or programs have different states within the workers' comp system, such as industrial accident boards, uh, done to address this problem? 
One of the policies that we see that were implemented in a lot of states that had reductions in opioid dispensing were the limits on the amount or duration of initial opioid prescriptions for uh, acute pain. In half of the study states, this particular uh, type of legislation was implemented during the study period. And most of these uh, limit the, uh, the duration of initial opioid prescriptions to a seven or a, a up to a 14 days of supply, which is uh, in line with the, the recommendations of the CDC chronic pain guidelines. Are there situations where a workers' comp claimant can exceed those guidelines uh, in exceptional circumstances or or in these jurisdictions, is pretty rigid. You get uh, seven days or 14 days only post-surgery or post-acute injury. Are there exceptions? Yes, there are. These laws do have exceptions. Uh, these are for, uh, some of these are associated with acute pain just in emergency or urgent care settings. Uh, but for surgery, and these are not related to ongoing use or chronic pain, and uh, they also have surgical exceptions in most cases. Okay. And let's talk about chronic pain, because obviously if you can control the initial uh, utilization of opioids, you're going to be less likely to find a, a physical and or a psychological dependency setting in over a period of time. And I know for my clients, I have clients that are in pain and chronic pain, which depending on how it's defined is, is pain over a six-week period or some arbitrary period before it's termed chronic. And it's the dealing with my clients, the injured workers who have been in chronic pain as uh, they report for months, in fact, even years. So how do you begin to address the issue or how have different jurisdictions addressed the issue of the ongoing open-ended use of opioids in chronic pain? I know in Massachusetts we have chronic pain guidelines and we have other modalities that are listed in our guidelines as substitutes. Uh, for pills and, and uh, opioid medications. What are some of your findings in terms of uh, how different jurisdictions are dealing with the chronic use of opioids over the months and years long term? You've mentioned one of the, the policy uh, uh, levers to address chronic opioid treatment. And um, as you said, we do see treatment guidelines for prescribing opioids and chronic pain management that were implemented uh, during the study period in several states, not just by uh, workers' compens agencies, but also the state medical boards. In this study, uh, because a lot of these guidelines call for a broader adoption of uh, non-pharmacologic treatments and uh, non-opioid pain medications prior to or along with uh, opioids. And we did in the study track how frequently injured workers are receiving some of these uh, non-opioid pain medications and non-pharmacologic treatments such as active physical medicine, uh, passive uh, physical medicine uh, modalities, acupuncture, chiropractic care, interventional pain management services, and uh, uh, behavioral treatments. And we've we've discussed this on past shows, and uh, I can tell you from my practice, and I, again, um, I have always found it somewhat difficult before we've had treatment guidelines here in Massachusetts outlining this sort of um, uh, palette of, of additional non 
pharmaceutical remedies, such as acupuncture, such as massage therapy, psychological intervention. I, th I think we all can agree that a lot of pain is uh, psychologically based. Uh, it's not to say that it's it's um, made up, or but it is. There is a component to that. There are some people that can deal with pain differently than others. And it's been, in my view, the recognition over the last several years from insurers, claims uh, adjusters, claims reps, I find they're more willing uh, to uh, authorize and approve non-pharmacological or, or medical uh, or pills or opioids um, in exchange for some of these other modalities where in prior years they wanted to stay as far away as possible from psychological intervention or even things that are considered to be a little bit less than you know mainstream medicine such as acupuncture or massage. Uh, biofeedback and uh, things like that. So I think, and I think your study bears out that those jurisdictions that seem to recognize the need to not just simply put limits on on pills that can be habituating, uh, but there must of necessity be some other mechanisms that can control pain. You've also mentioned the implementation of drug formularies, and that gets into another sort of interesting area of debate that we're not going to get into today. But just for the audience and for me, what is a drug formulary and the implementation of same, and how does that impact the uh, prescription patterns of uh, opioids? Drug formularies are a list of medications in workers' compensation. Uh, the way they are enforced is some of the drugs would require a prior authorization before they can be prescribed, and some of them would not require a pre-authorization. So it's a, it's a limited list that can be prescribed without a pre-authorization, and the rest, uh, medical necessity for those drugs needs to be established before prescribing them. And they address opioids to different extents. I mean, it's not that many workers' compensation jurisdictions have drug formularies at this point. I think it's about a dozen states that have implemented them. And uh, how opioids are addressed differs across these states. Uh, but again, it's one of the many uh, policies that were implemented during the study period in states that we see large reductions in. Um, in fact, about... Half of the states had prescription drug monitoring program, uh, prescriber mandates, about half implemented uh, limits on the initial opioid prescriptions for acute pain, and one, I think, about five states, formularies were implemented in uh, five states, and in one of them, it's, it was towards the end of the study period. And I, I can tell you as a claimant attorney and, and somebody who speaks with and works with claimant attorneys, in, and for that matter, um, insurer attorneys around the country, the concept of a drug formulary uh, in general and in specifically for pain is a hot-button topic. It, it, from our perspective, uh, on behalf of our clients, it allows somebody other than the treating doctor to dictate the type of medications that uh, could be available and um, that the other modalities that you had mentioned, such as uh, drug monitoring, uh, chronic pain guidelines and other modalities uh, can work and uh, independent of establishing a formulary which, which uh, reduces choice and oftentimes leaves outliers from a drug formulary, you know, really without appropriate pain medication or chronic pain control. So where do you see this study going further? Um, is this, now that it's been published, is this something that 
um, the various states can take a look at and what, what can they hope to glean from it and improve their performance and what comes next uh, from WCRI? I'm sure this is a work in progress. It is an ongoing series of studies uh, tracking opioids and whether opioid dispensing is changing as more policies are being implemented. And opioids continue to be an area with a lot of policy debates still ongoing. So we will hopefully conduct research on this topic as long as there is opioid utilization, dispensing, and workers' compensation. Okay, so if somebody uh, would like further information about WCRI or, for that matter, this particular study, and again, it's interstate variations in dispensing of opioids, fifth edition, uh, where could they find further information? This study um, and all our studies, we have several other studies related to opioids. Um, You can find them on our website, uh, wcrinet.org. And uh, specifically with respect to this topic, uh, we have a webinar coming up on September 12th at 2 p.m., we'll be taking a deeper dive into the findings of the study. So all the measures that we include and which states had uh, the largest reductions, we will be covering that during the webinar. And if you are interested in that webinar, you can also sign up for it on our website. Okay. And since um, many people may be listening to this particular podcast after September 12th, will that webinar be archived and available on your website or is it a live and done event? Yes, the webinar will be available on our uh, website and um, it's going to be free for our members and everybody else can get it uh, for a nominal fee. Okay, well, that again brings us to the conclusion of another Workers' Comp Matters show. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Venela Thumala, uh, and WCRI for their good work in studying a vo- uh, most pressing and vexing problem in the area of Workers' Comp and as As our guest has said, it's not just limited to workers' comp, but it is a problem across society and across the nation. So until our next show, thank you for listening and go out and make it a day that matters. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.